this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Silence is uncomfortable. It makes us feel anxious, awkward even. We want something to fill the space, something to cover up the coughs and the squeaking chairs and the heavy breathers we're sitting next to. Even a little laugh helps. And we want the same thing in everyday life, too. When nothing is happening, we feel like something is wrong. Like we should be doing something. So we do a lot. We pack our schedules and fill every second of every day to the maximum capacity. We live preoccupied lives, well-trained in the art of distraction. What if today is different? What if today we laid down our work, put aside distractions, we put down our phone? What if instead of trying to capture this moment, we just choose to be in it? God is here. He's always been here. What if we decide to be here too? There's something to that idea, right? I first heard that script at a church called Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I sat there too. I always want the silence to be filled, right? And I'm like, what's, what's going on? Like, are they having a malfunction? <laughs> what's happening? Let's get the show on the road, right? I'm, I'm anxious for the service to continue. Sometimes we need to be surprised out of the normal routine. Right? Just shake it up a little bit. And not with something loud and flashy because the world is loud and flashy. (laughs) But silence sometimes. Sometimes that thing that, that jogs us out of that is as simple as silence. And honestly, isn't it a lesson we all could have learned this year? We could have. Some of us certainly have more time on our hands than ever before in our lives. We could have learned this lesson. We could have sat in silence and listened to God. We could have spent more time in the Word. We could, we could have. I know for many of us, instead of more time giving us more ability to connect with God, it gave us more opportunity for distraction. I can't tell you how many I've talked to that said that. I, I, I know I, I fell off the wagon with this or that. I gained weight over COVID. I, you know, watched a lot of Netflix. We certainly had the opportunity this year. More time on our hands than ever before. Less commitments. Less time constraints. And yet for some of us, the world seemed louder than ever before. So much louder. I've talked to so many of you that are struggling right now through more anxiety, depression, fear, and anger than ever before. Old stuff from the past that you thought was dead and gone, it all seems to surface in silence. Right? When nothing is happening, you you feel like those things just keep tumbling back. certainly happened for me that way. This year, and I learned some valuable lessons about exhaustion this year that I don't think I would trade for anything, even a normal 2020. I don't, I don't think I would trade it. Those lessons are so 
valuable to me. You know, I, I thought I just needed time. If you would have asked me pre-March 2020, I, I thought I just I need a little more time. Like, like if I could cram more things into every day, right? If, if I could just get more time, time to sleep, time to rest. I mean, I know that's every mother's dream, but for me, it just felt like I just needed more time, time to heal the, the wounds of the past crises and traumas and things that I've gone through. I thought I just needed more time, time to read my Bible, time to pray, time to worship, take a nap here and there. I'm a big believer in naps. I thought that's what I needed. I thought that if I just came up with the perfect formula and stuck to it religiously, that was what I needed to be fully spiritually, emotionally, mentally okay. I, th- I thought that's what I needed to get through this year. But I quickly found out that this isn't just any other year, any other season, that this was something unique. And so maybe I needed more than the usual amount of rest, more than the physical rest. This sermon series is supposed to, I mean, it is going to be about how our culture right now is screaming. Silence is complicity. Silence is complicity in the injustice happening in our world, that you have to speak up and you have to say something. They're screaming it right now. The problem is everyone disagrees on what to say. Right? Nobody agrees. (laughs) Everybody's yelling at everybody else. And no matter what you speak up and say, somebody's going to vehemently disagree with it. And that is exhausting. It's exhausting. When you do speak up and say something, say the thing you think you're being asked to say, someone will disagree and they will take a whack at it. And that's exhausting. Not saying anything is exhausting because you feel like you're being pressured to say something. It's all exhausting. But I'm here to tell you today that you're not alone in that. I, I get tempted from time to time to get sucked into the idea that 2020 is just so unique, that, that we in history are just so unique, right? That the world is, is getting worse. I think it's a common thing for Christians to be like, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And, you know, we're, we're, things are just getting so much worse. Like the, we, we glorify the 50s era. Everybody went to church on Sunday and you wore a tie and a suit. And things must have been better then, right? Were they, though? You're not alone. Throughout history, we've had so many seasons like this. I didn't have to look very far in the word to find them. Right Throughout history, throughout the, the rise and fall of nations and rulers and kings, throughout the empires, there have been people who find themselves in tumultuous situations, political nightmares. We think we're in a political nightmare. Political nightmares, downright evil cultures. And these people still maintained their relationship with God and their compassion for people. How do you do that? It's possible. It's possible, and I know it's possible, even in 2020 America, because it was possible in B.C. 600s in Babylon for Daniel. I know it's possible because it was possible in B.C. 400s in Persia for Esther. I know it's possible because it was possible 2,000 years before Jesus came in Sodom and Gomorrah for Lot and Abraham. It maintained a compassion for people that they definitely did not deserve. If you've read that story lately, you'll be horrified. You'll actually be grateful for our culture today. I'm not joking. I'm convinced, though, that it's nearly impossible to be properly compassionate, to maintain your relationship with God and and compassion for people while being exhausted. 
Compassion drives fierce faith, we learned in this past series. Compassion drives it. And so before we get into what to say and what not to say in this crazy culture throughout this series, we are going to cover those things. But before we get into all that, we need to read some words from Jesus himself about how to maintain emotional and spiritual rest in him. I actually had a completely different sermon planned for, kind of planned for today. I had a, a different thought process of how I was going to start this series. God brought me back a little bit. He said, don't start there. Back up just a little bit. Because before you can find the right words to say, you have to be in the right place to say them. Has anybody said the right words but at the wrong time or from the wrong attitude? <laughs> right? You can say all of the right things. You can actually say all of the right Jesus things. Repeat him word for word, but when you have the wrong attitude, you're still wrong. Right? So he said, back up. Before you can find the right words to say, you have to be in the right place to say them. We often miss this step, and I don't want to do that today. So for this, we're going to go to Matthew 11 this morning. You can go to the sermon notes, fe.church slash sermon notes. You can find them on your app. You can go to your, but maybe some of you actually brought a, a Bible at home. You have your paper Bible. Matthew 11 is where we're going today. Verse 25. Now this comes, in, just to put it in context a little bit, Jesus is talking to a crowd and he's talking to them about judgment and repentance it's, it's not an easy conversation, actually. He's calling out specific cities and saying, Sodom and Gomorrah would be better off, will be better off on Judgment Day than you. Again, if you've read that story lately, <laughs> it's intense, so it's saying something, okay? And he follows it up, Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. He says, at that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. Thank you for hiding these things for, from those who think themselves wise and clever. I had to read this about a billion times over the past two days. Thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father. It pleased you to do it this way. Hiding these things. I did a sermon series last Christmas, I think, called Wonder. And it struck me in that series, and it stuck with me ever since, just how much God seems to hide truth. Does that not challenge your theology a little bit? <laughs> and God's not hard to find, but he does make you dig a little bit. There's a reason for that. Pride. Those who think themselves wise and clever. God is hiding things from you. Pride hides things from you. Just let that sink in for a moment. Because pride is so sneaky. And it makes you think you're doing the right thing for yourself. And yet you're... You're missing something because pride hides things. If, if you think you're super wise, super clever, I'm the best in the biz, whatever, you think you're all that, you're missing something. This is honestly probably one of the most important tips you can get from Jesus and his teaching, especially about rest, although it's more subtle. Remain childlike. Remain childlike probably one of the most restful things you can do. Remain childlike. The children trust that someone else is going to feed them tomorrow morning. It's not even a thought. Right? Lay my kids down to sleep in the morning. They're not thinking about tomorrow's breakfast. That's me. Right? They just go to bed, sleep so much more peacefully than I probably ever do right now. <laughs> right? They understand that there's a whole lot in this world that they don't know, and, and that's okay. Sometimes we get in the car, start going somewhere. Halfway down the road, my kids are like, oh, by the way, where are we going? You just got in the car? No idea where, <laughs> right? 
No idea where we're going. It's fine. I'm with mom. Right? They just trust on different levels. Yes, they ask questions and they're curious and they learn things at such great speeds and that's good. That's another trait of our spiritual childlikeness that we have to hold on to. Be curious. Ask questions. Never stop learning because God reveals things to the childlike that he does not reveal to the prideful. A while ago, some of you will probably remember this because I preached about it a lot, but God was teaching me some things about spiritual maturity. At the time, I was looking around at people around me, people who had been Christians for 20, 30 years, you know, and I thought they were spiritually mature. It looked like they had their act together. I mean, they certainly walked the walk, talked the talk. They knew how to be spiritual. But every time I'd ask them to do something around the church, (laughs) disciple somebody, give somebody a call and pray over them, lead a, a group. They were not the first ones to volunteer. It was the first time salvation people. Like they got saved yesterday and they're like, I'll lead a men's group. I'll do it right now. What do you want me to do? Like, I want the guy that's been saved for 30 years to to do that, right? Speak into these young people who want to do everything. But it's the childlike. It's the ones who don't have it all together. It's messy Christianity. Read through the the epistles of the New Testament, the the letters to the churches. It's messy church. (laughs) Messy church. It's the childlike. They're, They're doing their best, but... But life is still a little messy, rough around the edges. You know what I mean? But they're following Jesus with everything they have. It's Jesus revealing things to them over time. And and I had to reevaluate that definition of spiritual maturity a little bit. And maturity doesn't sit back and say, I'm going to let everybody else do all the work. It just works a little differently. It remains fruitful, challenging yourself, stepping up, learning new things. These things should never stop. Always be learning like a child. I learned this lesson this year all over again. I had to renew my sense of wonder again. Renew my sense of wonder. I think I let life become very heavy. And I've heard this sentiment echoed throughout conversations in the past couple of months. You know, the world seems so dark and dangerous right now. Life seems so heavy. I think I let myself get there for a while. My world seems so small. My problems were the only problems, and they were so big (laughs) compared to the world. And it was something I did, right? Not something that life did to me. Something I allowed to happen in my life. Maybe it was passive, but it was a choice. I chose to let it become heavy. I took a trip this summer that really helped me shed all of that heaviness. And I learned that when I came back, the same problems were still there as when I left, but my perspective had shifted. I I was looking at things very differently. I had seen some new sights. I, I sat at the edge of a big ocean. I realized I was not the only thing happening in this world. I was probably not even at the top of God's to-do list today. (laughs) I realized that there are other people out there, their own problems. I I remembered what it was like to disappear into a socially distanced crowd, to just be another number in a crowd full of people, (laughs) remembering that I'm not the only one. I also had fun in that trip, though. Fun. Remember that? Fun? Play? We're still on the childlike thing. Kids know how to have fun. Like, with nothing. Like, I can buy my kids all this stuff in the world, and they want a a stick and a rock to play with. And they have fun. (laughs) Right? Give them one other kid, and they're happy. Any other kid, really. They're They're happy. I realized that I needed fun in my life. That childlike wonder at doing something new 
and different and maybe a little dangerous, right? Challenge myself in new and different ways. Not I was used to challenging myself, right? If the world felt scary, fearful, I was used to that kind of challenging myself. But there's a reason that leg day isn't every day when working out, right? You can't keep working the same muscle over and over and over and expect to get results. You have to give that muscle time to rebuild itself, right? To grow. I was trying to flex the same muscles over and over again. I realized I had to challenge my courage, but in different ways. I had to have fun. Let myself go a little bit. The inhibitions, let them go. Don't don't worry, I didn't do anything that crazy. We rented jet skis, okay? It's not like I was, you know... I don't know, doing something crazy. It wasn't that dangerous. But it was that, that lack of inhibition. It was fast and it was fun. And it fed my soul more than the typical naps, Bible reading, praying, getting eight hours of sleep a night. I was used to that routine. I needed something to break myself out of the routine. I have a theory that this is actually why a lot of pastors ride motorcycles and drive Jeeps. Just saying. <laughs> We can talk about that theory later. I had to shed some pride. That was the bottom line. I had to realize that God was a whole lot bigger than my world, my small world. I had made the world small. I had to shed that. And I'm not talking about pride like I'm the best, right? I'm better than all the rest. I'm not. Pride is sneaky sometimes. I'm talking about pride that says, no one understands. No one truly gets it. I'm all alone in this. I'm I'm talking about pride that's like, my problems are so much bigger than everybody else's. (laughs) Or pride that says, everybody hates me. Everybody disagrees with me. Everybody wants to beat me up today. Little pity party pride. Sneaky pride. Pride hides things keeps us from being childlike in our faith. We have to resist it to remain childlike. Matthew eleven twenty five. I just want to read it one more time and let this sink in. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father. It pleased you to do it this way. The things that Jesus is talking about there, thank you for hiding these things. The things that he's talking about are simple things like repentance and judgment. Very simple things, but pride distorts them, doesn't it? You ever heard a truly arrogant, prideful person give you a genuine apology? I'm sorry you felt that way. That's usually how they come out. (laughs) It's just manipulation, really. It's not an actual, genuine acknowledgement of fault at all. Pride distorts repentance. It distorts, distorts judgment, too. Pride makes us judge others where they don't deserve it and makes us resist judgment that we do deserve. Distorts very simple things. Repentance and judgment. Only childlikeness brings that back. Only sitting down and actually understanding that maybe I've gotten this wrong, that maybe I'm not everything I thought I was. Realizing that you are small in a big, wide world. Realizing how short life is in the span of eternity. Realizing that you're not the only one God cares about. And yet he cares about you so, so much. That makes me every time say, God, you are so good. God, you are so good. I'm not good. I don't deserve your love. You are so good. I realize now that my problems aren't going to last forever. This isn't the end of the story. We've got more work to do. I've got more work to do. I can be childlike again in his presence. Humble. Truly surrender 
to what he has for me. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Verse 27 says, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the father, knows the son except the father, and no one truly knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, come to me, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Over the past two days, I couldn't read that without crying a little. (laughs) Come to me, all you who are weary, carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. We, We do carry heavy burdens, don't we? Ones that we were never meant to carry. God didn't create us in a selfish, sinful world. We find ourselves in it. He hasn't come back yet, so we must need to be here. God doesn't do things imperfectly. We carry all of these things that that get heavier and heavier over time. Time doesn't actually help things like bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, Shame, guilt, time doesn't help them. They actually get heavier with time. These things eat you from the inside out. They weigh you down. They make it harder and harder to function. They destroy relationships, wreak havoc on your your mindsets, your thought processes, your attitudes. At home group this week, someone mentioned that Fear has such a physical response, right? You feel it. Your heart starts to race. Skin gets clammy. You have to shake it out a little bit, right? You get jumpy, nervous, breathless. It affects you physically. Fear does. That sort of captured my imagination because I thought, If there's a physical response to fear, there must be a physical response to faith, right? It's the opposite. It's got to be that physical, what's the opposite response? I couldn't think of one. Faith just makes me feel normal, right? Faith makes me feel, I mean, empowered, but like not breathing more slowly. You know what I mean? (laughs) From the normal, There's not an opposite, but it it hit me that it's kind of like a dam in a river, right? Fear dams a river up, and and all of the things downstream suffer because of it. The ecosystems fail and, and flounder and dry up. Whereas faith, the dam is gone, and it's just a naturally healthy, flowing river. Things just work, ecosystems flourish, and the natural course of nature is happening freely. That's what faith does. It enables you to behave in ways that are natural, uninhibited, takes away the fear, the inhibitions, the the stuff that we carry around with us. It's that stuff that puts a dam in the naturally flowing river of God's grace. We're the ones who put it there. We hold on to stuff. We're building the wall, brick by brick. A little bit of shame here, a little guilt there, a little bitterness, unforgiveness, anger. We build this wall. We are the ones stopping that natural flow of grace. And Jesus said, come to me. Just come. The weary, the heavenly burdened, just Come, I'll help you tear down those walls. When you're ready, little by little, I can handle it. 
I can lift those heavy burdens. I can dismantle it for you. You don't have to do that on your own. You don't have to do that before you come to Jesus, right? We often think, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I'm going to burst into flames if I walk through the doors of a church. I have to, I have to get myself right before I'm ready for that. No, <laughs> no, just come. We're all a bit messed up in here, right? We can admit that. There's no perfect people allowed in church, actually. Amen? Can I get an amen? We're not perfect. Messy churches is all over the New Testament. Read it sometimes. They got issues. Big ones. It's okay. Not that Jesus allows you to stay there. Right? He's always asking you, come on. I can carry these burdens. I can help you with that. Let me help you with that. You don't have to be the strongest. You don't have to be strong at all, really. Because the yoke he gives you is easy. His burden is light. He's strong enough to help you carry the rest. That is why there is soul rest in Jesus. That is what I needed this year. Not just physical rest. It wasn't about naps and eight hours of sleep a night. It was soul rest that I needed. I had to get myself right first. And the only way to do that is to firmly plant yourself in Jesus. Soul rest. Rest for your souls. Charles Spurgeon said, how precious must a soul be? both God and the devil are after it. How precious is your soul? There's a war going on for your soul every minute of every day. And it can be exhausting. You were never meant to carry that burden alone. Run to Jesus. And when he says, come, run to Jesus. Don't get right first. Don't say maybe tomorrow. Run to Jesus. He can help you carry it. He wants to help you carry it. And the thing is, we all, we all think there are these things we have to strive for, right? We have to strive to be more loving, strive to be more forgiving, right? We have to strive to be more patient. The Bible calls them gifts of the Spirit. They're a gift for you. The Holy Spirit wants to give you those things because love is rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. Forgiveness is rest for your soul. Not something you have to strive for, something the Holy Spirit wants to give you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Not things you have to try to put on and be better and do better. You can't just walk out these doors to say today and say, I'm just going to have more faith. I'm going to make myself have more faith. It is a gift. Pursue the Holy Spirit, Jesus, with everything you have, and he will give them to you. Rest for your soul. Being childlike is being carefree. Because you know you're being taken care of. Run to Jesus today. Run to him. Hide in Jesus' name. This is why countless verses exist about God being our place of refuge and safety, our ever-present help in times of trouble. He, he sits us up on a high place right? Safe from our enemies. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. He is our provider, our deliverer, our comforter, our healer, our ever-present help in times of trouble. He is not a God who defines himself by what we bring to him. He defines himself by what he gives to us. And all throughout history, there have been gods who define themselves by what they get from us. That's not the God we serve. We serve Jehovah, I am. Do you know why he left it blank? We talked about the, the burning bush earlier when God first named himself. Right? Moses said, what do I call you? Who do I tell Israel sent me? What is your name? God said, I am. I 
am. I exist unto myself. Nothing allows me to exist. I will it so. And I left it blank because I am the provider when you need something provided. I am the healer when you need something healed. Jehovah Rapha, I am the healer. Jehovah Jireh, I am the provider. Jehovah Nissi, when you need a banner to follow into war. I am. This is why we can rest in him. Because he is who we need him to be when we need him to be it. The world wants to put God in a box. They want to say, God is this or God is that. But you can't put him in a box. He is this and that. He is all of it. He is everything. He is in every breath you breathe. That's the name Yahweh. He's in our very breath. Yahweh. He is everything. I am. I am that I am. He created the earth and everything in it, and then he rested. I read a, an article last week explaining that. Genesis, where it says God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And the point of the article was that God didn't need to rest. He's perfect. He did it as an example to us to rest. The unfortunate thing about that conclusion is that it assumes that rest is an imperfection. If God did it, was it imperfect? God is perfect, holy, sovereign, complete in every way. You cannot add to him to make him more perfect. You cannot take anything away to make him more perfect. If he did it, he meant to do it. He is purposeful, intentional. He rested, not just as an example to us to rest. I think maybe that's why he included it in the Bible, but that's not why he did it. He rested because it was the perfect thing to do after a job done perfectly. He created the world and said that it was good, perfect, whole, and complete. You could not add to it to make it more perfect. You could take nothing away. And therefore, what do you do with a job done perfectly but rest in it? Enjoy it. We don't have to be perfect because he is. Just take a deep breath in that truth today. <sighs> we don't have to be perfect. He is. Renew your sense of childlike wonder in that today. Tap into his goodness, his perfection, his plan. He sent his son because it was the only plan, the perfect plan that would see us come back to him in this world full of pain, that would lighten our load, ease our burdens, help us turn away from those heavy burdens of worldly unforgiveness and cyclical anger and bitterness and selfishness that just breeds more selfishness. He sent Jesus back as the chain breaker, the curse breaker. He sent him to stop the cyclical nature of selfishness in our lives, to help us learn a new way to live, a lighter way, an easier way. Jesus loves you so much. He laid down his life so that you don't have to carry those burdens anymore. His love is perfect. You do not have to prove anything to him. You have nothing to earn from him. You cannot make him love you any more than he does right now. His love is perfect, whole, complete. And his love calls us out of our messes. 
calls us to give him more of our selfishness because he can carry it. He wants to carry it for you. More of our pride because he can carry it. More of our worries and fears, he can carry them. He wants to carry them. What if life seems so heavy right now because you're not giving enough of it to him to carry? Silence is uncomfortable. It makes us feel anxious. Awkward, even. And we want something to fill the space. Something to cover up the memories, the anger, the uncertainty of the world outside our door. Instead of packing our schedules and filling every second of every day to the maximum capacity, living preoccupied lives well-trained in the art of distraction, what if we make today different? What if we laid down the anger, put aside the controversy, we put down our phone? What if instead of trying to speak to this moment, we just choose to be in it? God is here. He's always been here. As close as a whisper. What if we decide to be here too?
give it all to Jesus. Would you all stand with me in the room today? Father, we give our burdens, the heavy weights that we're carrying around, we give them to you. We know the joy of the Lord is our strength. We carry the knowledge of the sacrifice that you made for us, Jesus, with us every day that we don't have to carry around our selfishness and shame and pain anymore. You nailed all that stuff to the cross 2,000 years ago. It's been dead and gone for a while now. We just have to remember that. You set us free. There's freedom in your name. There is hope in your name. Faith, love, peace, kindness, generosity. We can tap into all of that. You are so close, God. Closer than a whisper. All we have to do is think your name and you are there. Sing your praises and you are there. Help us remember that we can be free so easily. We can breathe again in your presence. Rest in your name. The name above every name. Jesus, mighty name, the chain breaker, the curse breaker. Jesus, remind us of who we are in you we would truly understand who the creator of heaven and earth is and who we are in him. Let us tap into that freedom today. Let us not leave here without having that honest conversation. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. 